Hello and welcome to the Coaches and Leaders Assemble podcast, the podcast for all things coaching, leadership, people and culture. And today we have another fantastic guest episode with me, Laura Royal, your host from DNA Coach and double Olympian Chris Cook. You are going to love this episode, the power of keeping things simple. Grab your notepad and pen and let's dive right in. Hello and welcome to the lovely Chris Cook, double Olympian, no less. Chris, how are you? Oh, I'm good, Laura. Thanks so much for the lovely intro. Great. Well, listen, I can't wait to chat to you on this, Chris. It's been a little while coming because um, we were introduced by a mutual connection. A lovely Lisa Morrison yes. had recommended you as a fantastic guest speaker, um, which would have happened at our conference earlier in the summer. But the, the stars didn't align for that event. But we will be making sure we see you in person at one of the future ones. And I'm delighted to hear that you are able to commit this time today to share a little bit about your your story and your fantastic experience as a double Olympian. And what I love about um, you, Chris, is uh, what you're going to talk about today is about keeping things simple. But before you get right into the fine detail of that, Chris, do tell us a wee bit about you, who you are and what you do. Yeah, so um, I still live in the Northeast. I love the Northeast. Um, Although people keep saying that my accent's getting softer and softer. So (laughs) that might be the traveling that I do around the world, which is great. Um, yeah, you know, and ever since the age of nineteen, when I started to make the kind of the early stages of the Great Britain team as a swimmer, um, I've been traveling around the world, which has just been incredible. You know, every year I think, oh, it's going to end. It's going to surely it's going to end, yeah. but it just keeps on going. Um, okay. But I'm I'm from South Shields originally. Love living in the northeast now. Live in Yarm and Teesside. Um, I've got two kids and a wife and, you know, I, I, I pinch myself at moments when I kind of look back over my career. Um, I've not had a straight line. <laughs> I don't know what a straight line would ever look like. Um, and, and I speak on stages around the world about that, about the benefits of it. Um, in fact, I've just put a LinkedIn um, response to somebody's question. You know, someone was talking about how their son loves winning gold medals and He's really into sport. And I said, oh, that's my son too. And we've gone into this conversation around how learning to lose is a skill. Yeah. You know, learning to lose is a skill. And actually, when I look back over my career, I made a career out of going from one failure to the next until <laughs> yeah. I eventually got gold medals. So that's kind of that's kind of the essence of my story, Laura, is that I went through a load of peaks and troughs. And when I finished my career as a swimmer, I look back over the view as a two-time Olympian finished as an Olympic finalist, was in that last race when Michael Phelps picked up that eighth gold medal in Beijing. I was a lane or two away. And, you know, I kind of reflect back and just think, wow, that was me. You know, there are some days when I'm talking on stage and I share a medal and I go, oh, yeah, that's mine. (laughs) You know, because I'm so onto the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, um, which is a, it's a hard thing to manage um, but I'm aware of it now. I wasn't aware of it before. Where well, I'm kind of aware of pause, stop, enjoy what you've just created, and now, now you can move on. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my story. Yeah, 
I love it. Do you know what? It's really, I'm sad. I know I can't see you now. We were on Zoom together mm. a moment ago to say hello. And now we're doing it radio style on this lovely platform that we use for podcasts. But I'm sitting here grinning like a Cheshire cat because, <laughs> I mean, obviously I've never experienced being a couple of lanes, you know, in Beijing yeah. in a final, but, um, at, you know, next to Michael Phelps. But actually just hearing you talk about that, you can really hear the passion, you know, and and, and yeah. I suppose, you know, feeling quite proud of, of what you've achieved in that time frame must be a great feeling so uh, I think this is going to be a great um, opportunity for people to really hear your story and how perhaps some of that can align for for others and I have watched a couple of your videos your video ah. of you in action and genuinely again I I felt proud as punch watching that so um, I can only imagine then that that little tiny part I feel how much more mm. um, bigger that feels for you so Chris oh, do tell you. us you know start where you feel is most appropriate for our mm. audience on what what would be great for you to share about your history and, and where you're at today? Yeah, so, I mean, if I kind of just tiptoe through it from the start, you know, Please, I, I'm just a norm, normal lad from South Shields who found something. You know, I was terrible at football, rubbish at rugby. I was far too soft, <laughs> definitely too soft for judo. I tried that and I was, <laughs> I think I cried more times than actually went. Um, and then I just stumbled upon swimming and there was something about it. You know, I met um, a lady called Penny Wilkinson, a guy called Ken Nesworthy, and they became really prominent mentors in my life at such a a pivotal age. You know, I was sort of 9, 10, 11, and started to learn from people. Um, so outside of school, I had, a, I had a life. I had a different life. And it was almost a covert life in many respects. You know, I would go train in early morning. You'd be getting up 4.30 in the morning. It's not long before you're getting up and you're blasting up and down the pool from 5 until 7.30. Mm -hmm. You go to school, do a full, full day at school, and then you're back again for another tea time session. Um, wow. Anybody who's a, a swimming parent on the call will be nodding their heads right now <laughs> listening to this podcast. 100%. They're all out there buried away working hard. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, that level of discipline meant that I had to make choices from an early age um, lots of people call them sacrifices. I call them choices. You know, we, yeah. we, we do get the choice. If you don't like the results you're getting in life, check your choices first. Um, it's usually nothing to do with the government or the fact that you've not got the money or whatever it is that you, the weather, it's usually to do with the choices that you've made. Um, and, and, you know, I was getting that information from mentors and people who were older than us from the age of 12. It's quite an impressionable age that. So, Coming into my 30s and kind of thrusting out the sport into business, and I'll come on to that later because that was a tricky, tricky time in my life. You know, I, I came out the sport with kind of 14, 15 plus years of mentorship in a quite a com the most competitive environment known to man, I would say, you know, the Olympics. Um, but th that that journey through was was all about making smart choices, not about looking at them as sacrifices. I moved to the city of Newcastle Swimming Club at the age of 19, and that was when things really took off. I had a really strong foundation at South Shields and South Tyneside Swimming Club. Moved to Newcastle, and it was an empire of a club at the time. Thousands of swimmers in the swim set up, and it had um, it had international swimmers from all around the world who had, had kind of like come to the club, who'd kind of braced it with their presence and left a little bit of it a little bit different behind and when you walked in the building there was flags from all around the world 
when you wow. walked around the building and what the, the coach would do, a guy called Ian Oliver, who was so inspirational, he would, if you made a Great Britain squad, he would take down the flag of the country you went to. So let's just say you went to Italy to race. He would take mm-hmm. down that the Italian flag and he would stitch your name into it. Amazing. It was unreal. And right at the end, end of the pool, there was two main flags, front and centre, and they were the Commonwealth Games flag and the Olympic flag. Mm-hmm. And there was very few names on those flags. I mean, everybody in that pool wanted their name on those flags. I bet. And I just remember, I can even tap into it now, just the drive every day, just looking up, thinking my name's going to be on there. And yeah. so by the time I left, it was on quite a few flags, but definitely the Commonwealth and the, the Olympic flag. And you know, created so many ups and downs along the way. Yeah. And this, uh, honestly, I can even, you know, I, I feel a little bit of that energy because, you know, mm. thinking about at the end of that pool, these flags are like, my name is definitely going to appear on there <laughs> without a yeah. shadow of a doubt, that driver, that motivating force. So when when was the Olympics um, uh, that you had success in? What, so it was Beijing, remind us all for those that can't remember our years. <laughs> when yeah. was that? Crikey, I have to think back now. It is, it's getting on. So um, I tried out for the Sydney Olympic team in the year 2000 and I just wasn't good enough. Um, I remember coming back home, sitting in the back office, kind of reassessing what we're going to do for the next four years. And I realised how powerful that three-letter word yet is. And yeah. my coach said, um, Chris, I'm, you know, I'm just going to say it out loud now. You're not good enough. Yet. And it was that pause, that kind of heart sank. And then he said, yet. And that yet just helped me lean in and work out, okay, well, what's missing? What do I need to do in the next four years? You get four years in that cycle to change things around and learn your lessons. And that's when everything changed for me. I, I went on to the very next Olympics, which was Athens in 2004, swam the 200 meters breaststroke, which wasn't my event, Laura. It wasn't my normal my num what you call your number one event, the main event. I was more of a hundred meter swimmer, not not a two hundred, but we'd done a stack of work in the, the four years leading up and I just I just went for it. Um and I got into the semifinals. Did all right actually. It wasn't amazing, but it started the process of me now being on the international scene more regularly. Yeah. European champs, world champs, Commonwealth Games. I won the Commonwealth Games in two thousand six. And then by 2008 was the Beijing Olympics, and that was my my second and final Olympic Games where I reached the final. Um, Amazing. Yeah, and, and it was. And, and looking back, you know, and my kids ask me quite regularly because they're of an age now where their friends are talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't really spoken to my kids much about it. But remember a couple of weeks ago, my son, he's called Casey. We took him to a... Um, an athletics club the pair of them go to an athletics club and the coach there is wonderful and i'd sent an email in just saying hey can my kids join well he'd obviously read my email address checked my website and when i turned up he was like right can you tell me about the olympics hey you guys come over here gather around this guy's going to tell you about oh, the olympics i was like Whoa. i was like no, no 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 my kids are joining and my kids were like looking at us and i was thinking oh no they're going to be so embarrassed and they weren't they really weren't. We got in the car and just said, I'm so sorry about that. They're like, why are you apologizing? I was like, well, it's not about me. It's about you. They're like, yeah, but we're really proud of it, Dad. So that was, for me, that was a massive milestone. It sounds strange, but it was a massive milestone to get over. 
Yeah. Um, because you know, I look back over it, and it was it was my personal journey. But it, I don't feel as though it should influence and affect somebody else's in an in an adverse way. Not with kids anyway, but it it doesn't, and it didn't. But yeah, it, it's it's taken me a long time to kind of look back and go, "Wow, I did that." You know, yeah, it feels like someone else's story sometimes. Oh gosh, honestly, it's wonderful. I love that impromptu keynote at the Athletics Club. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I love know. that. But actually, yeah. how inspiring that will have been for all of those people being able to listen to you, even if it is, you know, a very casual conversation in a couple of minutes, because it does show, as you you said earlier, you know, a, a regular person from South Shields going on to achieve such greatness on that, you know, international stage. Um, so the two thousand and six um, Commonwealth Games that was melbourne wasn't it it was that was kind I was, of defining. i was there I was, were you i was in melbourne at the commonwealth games i was there oh so um so no we would have been in the same city at the same time i, I was there that's insane I, yeah i i lived there from 2005 into 2006 did the whole backpacking touristy thing wow. the majority of my time i lived in melbourne and i worked there um so so yeah what? i had tickets to various different events sadly i didn't get to the swimming but um because ah. tickets for some of the real popular events go like gold dust they really do yeah, they yeah i was in melbourne so i was there for the opening ceremony all of that it was just fabulous what an atmosphere um, we must have crossed paths sure i'll have walked past you in the street <laughs> wow that is amazing that's it that's it what oh my moment. goodness what a moment in time it was. In fact, that was the slogan. That was the, the name. It was a moment in time. It was called yeah. that. You know, every yeah. games has one. And, and that, that that for me was my defining moment, I guess. You know, standing on the podium, um, yeah. winning a gold medal, listening to the national anthem. There's nothing, there's nothing beats that. Um oh. but you've got to be really careful, Laura, as an athlete, because winning's an addiction. Um, and, and the reason I say you've got to be really careful is because it doesn't last long enough for it to be almost worth it. You have to be in it for something else. Yeah. And I remember stand, getting down off the, the podium and walking around and you wave to the audience. You get 15 minutes to wander around, get photographs, and people push and pull you in left, right, and center, and you go and do media interviews. Your life's just not the same. It's it's crazy. You go and do a drugs test to make sure it's legal, all that. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It is yeah. a crazy moment. And I remember getting <clears throat> off the poolside, walking out the back, and I straight away went, right, I went back there. Two nights later, I went back there. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I did in the 50 metres breaststroke. I won the 50. And I remember coming out of the the last race we did was the relay, the 4 by 100 men's medley relay. And we finished second. And oh, I feel really bad for saying this. I didn't want to get the medal. I didn't want to get up there and get a silver. I, I was like, oh, someone else can go get it. I was like, what? Because... For me, it was the addiction of standing there and winning. <laughs> and yeah. we, when I came back home, we kind of reassessed like where my mindset was at, and and actually, I just got sucked into the the glory of it. You know, I loved the process. I absolutely loved and lived for the process, as hard as it was. But I loved being an athlete. Yeah, I just I just adored it. Yeah. Um, but on the lead up to the Commonwealth Games, that's when we. When I say we, me and the team, who, who the team of people around us, you know, physiologists, psychologists, sports coach, swim coach, weights coach. It's a big team of people around you. You know, we discovered that I was overcomplicating it. Um, I remember coming back from a training session, sitting down with my sports psychologist, Simon Hartley, and we were, were having a conversation halfway through. He went, are you okay? And I just went, no. And I went for it. And I just downloaded 
all the stress, all the worry, all the pain I was going through, I remember it went really quiet between us when I finished and he went, wow, that's a lot of stress for somebody who only has to swim two lengths of the pool. <laughs> oh, wow. And I was like, are you joking? Um, my job's a bit tougher than that. And, and, yeah. and actually, once my ego started to calm down, we started the process of working out how do we keep this simple? And two lengths became my mantra. Um, and that's what I keynote on. And it, it's it's so successful. I thought it would last a year or two. And 15 years on, I'm still bumping my gums, <laughs> walking around, <laughs> talking to audiences. And, and they're loving it because it's so relatable. So many businesses and so many people out there massively overcomplicate something that's so straightforward and simple because we believe it needs to be complicated. Humans are good at that. Um, Aren't we just? And two legs became my mantra, Laura. And we would ask ourselves every day, is this what I'm about to do going to help me swim two lengths of pool faster? Yes or no? Yeah. And we had a couple of rules. If it was a long convoluted yes, it should be an easy no. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it, it wasn't the amount of times we convince ourselves that the tasks on our list are they're, they're justified, but they, they're only justified because of the history, because we're married to them. Yeah. But actually, when we really ask ourselves, is that taking me forward? When the answer is no, we need to ditch it. We need to have the confidence to go, that's not for me. Yeah. And you know, I remember granted years ago, I used to say, no can be a full sentence, you know, Chris. It really is. <laughs> and I think, is. I think I know at the age of 44 now what he's on about is, you know, <laughs> there are times we need to say no, say what you mean without being mean. We need to say no to things because they're not in alignment with where we're going. It's not easy. Yeah, it's quite often a question that I consider, and um, I'm I'm probably I would describe myself often, Chris, as a recovering people pleaser, <laughs> because I, I, you know, I would definitely be that person that would say yes yeah. to too many things, and yeah. actually, I'm like, oh, I don't want to put anyone out, I don't want to say no, I don't want to let anyone down. Mm. That never really be the case, but actually practicing that statement you said there's so vital that no is a full sentence it does come with a full stop on the end or or even that consideration if I'm saying yes to something well what else might I need to say no to in order to facilitate that you know weigh that yeah. up you know not overcomplicate things as you've described so I, I love that philosophy then those two two lengths and how to keep it simple so how, how would we apply that to our everyday lives well, you know, I, I think it's just simple things like, like going through your to-do list and creating a stop doing list. You know, I, I ask that question on stage all the time. I go, hands up, everyone. Who's got a, a to-do list? And everybody looks at me as though, like, who's this guy? Who's this bozo asking me this? And then I go, okay, keep your hands up if you've got a, a stop doing list. And you see sheepishly hands go down as they go, oh, God. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> because that's the most important list. You know, just because you're getting a lot, lot, lot of stuff done doesn't mean to say you're making progress. Yeah. I remember um, a, a good friend of mine said to us not so long ago, you know, you can run on the spot, but it doesn't mean to say you're moving forward. <laughs> you can get a lot of movement from running on the spot. <laughs> but, but actually, if you really want progress, you need to get everything in alignment with where you want to go. Because let's face it, we're all going somewhere. Yeah. And and, and people talk about oh, goal setting, goal setting, roll my eyes, goal setting. But actually, without a goal, you end up getting drafted into somebody else's dream or goal. And that's what happens a lot of the time. And, you know, I'm a people pleaser. I'm the ultimate yeah. people pleaser. Or I was, and now I'm more aware of it. And 
you know, catching myself out at those moments when I go, yes, but on the inside, I'm really screaming, no, mm -hmm. that's another great place to start. And, and, and for me, you know, when you, when you get your tasks side by side and ask, ask yourself, is this truly taking me where I want to go? Yes or no? Honestly, hand on heart, most of the time, it's a no. And I, and I learned this just to recap the other day. I jumped on the train to London and um, the first thing I did was open my laptop to check my emails. First thing, first thing on Monday morning. Now I looked around the carriage. It was packed with people doing exactly the same thing. And I decided to close my laptop and just work out what is it that I want to get out of today? Just three to five simple things. What is it that I want to get out of today? And I wrote them down, pen to paper, not just digitally. I wrote them down. I kept them in my pocket. And throughout the day when I got a break, I just pulled them out and looked and thought, right, have I achieved those, those four things on my list? Have I achieved those four things yet? And something as simple as that, aligned with where you're going, can make all the difference. And it wasn't that I delayed very long checking my emails. It was only five minutes max. But that five yeah. minutes meant that at the end of the day, I could reflect because I'm a massive believer that in business, the difference between business and sport is in sport, you are forced to reflect consistently, constantly, every day. You get out the pool, coach pulls you to one side, you chat with your coach, you go, that was a great bit of work. This could be a bit better. Tomorrow we're going to do this. When do we ever do that in business? Yeah. When do we ever do that? We never do. We do it once a year in a in an appraisal or, you know, when we sit down with our line manager or whoever it is. We If we do it every day, we don't really need to do that once a year. We don't because we're constantly just adjusting. So for me, that reflection piece is super important. And then the other thing I see a massive difference between business and sport is escapism versus recovery. You know, I'm always on LinkedIn jumping on about it. You know, I think a lot of the time in business, we, we get to the end of the week, trip over the finish line, and we go, oh, I just close my laptop and, and escape. And people escape into all sorts of things, um, drink, you know, or staying up too late, you're not, not quite recovering properly. You don't get that luxury in sport. You don't get that luxury. You, you, you have to be recovering as hard as you are working. Um, and every minute counts. The second you finish the wall at the end of a session is the first second of your recovery for the next session. And that's the way it goes. And, and that's how I've kind of been able to build businesses and, and split myself into 5 million different pieces since finishing swimming. Um, is because I've got that kind of recovery view. Yeah. There's lots in there. I've I've written yeah. down about a million things here because even <laughs> though I'm <laughs> which is great because even though I am um asking you to share this so that our mm. listeners get, you know, real great benefit and insight. I, for myself, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I do that. I, I'm I'm <laughs> um and it's something that I um talk to people about often about being intentional about what what you may do in a, a day mm. or a week, for example, and spending that five minutes of well, what what is it I want to achieve today as you've described, I think is really powerful. So even just that as a single takeaway for anyone listening can be perhaps a huge change to what we do because otherwise if you've described you get on that train in the morning and you open up your laptop without maybe intentionally thinking what is it I truly want to achieve today or this week perhaps so true 
Yeah. And then that time to reflect. Um, I love as well that recovery versus escapism because we can be quite guilty of that, can't we? We get to that that Friday at five just for talking sake and and the laptop goes down and you think, great, I've achieved X, Y, Z this week. I'll go and crack open the wine. Um, And I know I'm definitely a person who's done that probably more times than I've got fingers and toes to count. But, (laughs) you know, actually thinking about is, is that, is that giving me or anyone else the recovery time that we need in order to be at our best at the next thing that we take part in? Probably not, because yeah. you will maybe drink too much or not get to bed early enough, and that rest and recovery time is so vital. Absolutely. It's massively underrated. Massively yeah, underrated. Agree. And I think if we just stop and pause to listen to understand ourselves as opposed to listen and to react and respond all the time, it, 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 it will, your body will tell you what you need. Your body tells you what you need, but because we just numb it with stuff, and I've been there myself, we numb it with stuff. We we get the dopamine fix. We feel good for a little bit, like putting paper on a fire. You get a, a flash and a lot of heat, but you get a lot of waste product, and you don't. it doesn't last for long. You know, recovering properly is about putting the logs on the fire in the right place at the right time, and they burn for so much longer. Um, I was working with a team the other day and we were talking about this and, and they said, you know, we feel like we're constantly on this treadmill and I said, I can hear it and you, the way you're talking. And I work with teams now and, yeah. and, and small groups coaching. And I said, you know, the, if we start to view our work like hit training, you know, high intensity training, because they feel like they're in that that mode, well, what you need to pair high intensity training with is just as good recovery and rest. Because if you don't get that, you can't get back up to that high-intensity training. You can't get your heart rate up. You can't work muscles hard enough. The chemical balance in your body hasn't gone back to normal. All these physiological benefits from resting properly. But if you're constantly seeing it as a marathon and getting back up again, there's no wonder people are burning out. No wonder. How we view it, our perception of how we view it is just as important as anything else. really is. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that, Chris. So what would be what would be a top tip from you and your, you know, vast experience of moving from the world of sports into business? What from mm. from all of that experience, what what would you suggest is a good way for us to get to the end of that? We can really be purposeful on our recovery rather than heading to the bottle mm. of wine and cracking that open. What what would be a good maybe mindset or approach to take instead of that? You know, that old added age phrase that whatever you want to call it is you know success leaves clues you know when you feel energetic check what's happened 24 hours 48 hours 72 hours beforehand it's not necessarily what you've done immediately then it's usually what you've done beforehand have a little look back over you know those mornings when you skip out of bed and you're like oh my god i could do this all day long check what's happened beforehand because generally, generally speaking, those two to three days beforehand, there'll be something that's happened or something you've done that's brought you alive, spiritually, energetically, you know, psychologically, physically. Um, the second thing for me is physically moving. You know, physical movement is so important. It's like it's pre-designed in us to move, and actually, a lot of our day now is set up the exact opposite. You know, yeah. The convenience of jumping on a Zoom call and sitting there for an hour, it's great, isn't it? And on a podcast and all that. But actually, you know, we need to elevate our heart rates. We need to get those endorphins. That's your natural stress buster in your body. 
So moving is super, super important and getting that in there. But what people often do is they fit their work in and then try and fit the gym in or go for a run or do an exercise afterwards. You know, that needs to be a staple in your physical diet. It needs to be there consistently and and challenging yourself on that. And the last thing for me around that is it's it's not about what you're getting out of life, it's who you're becoming. It all comes down to that question for me. And I ask a lot of my clients that I do ask it during the keynote. It's not about what I'm getting from the week. It's about who I'm becoming in that week. And there's some weeks that I get in the end and I'm like, great, you wouldn't want to do that again. Chances are it's because I've just been getting tasks done. I've been sleeves rolled up, just getting stuff done. And there's a sense of satisfaction from it. Don't get us wrong, but it doesn't last long. When I'm working on those things that are bringing me alive and I'm actively developing myself, that's when everything changes. And I and I know the difference between the pieces of work now. I can feel it, and I'm sure you can as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes back to that. I was talking at a conference not so long ago, and somebody said, you know, because I, I went through a really tough patch when I finished swimming, and I really beat myself up that I didn't get an Olympic gold medal. And... It took me a long time to realize that in the whole journey, I was the gold. It took me a long time to realize that in any journey, we are the gold. We are the one common denominator in our full life, Laura, like from start to finish. And when I started to realize that, I realized that actually that physical gold medal, I could go out and buy one tomorrow if I really wanted to. You can go out and buy one and save yourself a lot of pain and and, and angst. But actually, it's who you become from yeah. the challenges you set yourself. Yeah. And, and that goes hand in glove with the, the job list that you've got. You know, yeah. it will reflect who you're becoming 100%. I love this. There's there's lots of lovely sound bites that you've shared today, um, Chris, that I think are really, really vital when we think about it, because mm. who who are we becoming? Who do we wish to become, perhaps, and, and actually be, you know, I, I it sounds a little bit morbid, but I um, have said to people before, you know, no one's ever going to remember someone for, oh, aren't they a person who got all their emails done on time? <laughs> you know, your, your tombstone's <laughs> yeah. not going to say that, you know, it's going to say you would hope to be remembered for things that are a little bit more meaningful than that. So <laughs> you know, from that perspective, it could be a good way to look at it. But something else yeah. you said, and, and I did chuckle at myself and I've written down the word watch. And the reason I've written that down is it's beside me. So I've got an Apple Watch. Um, I, I was gifted an Apple Watch a couple of years ago, and I don't use it that often. And, and here's why, Chris, and you might laugh at this as well. So it's sitting on its little charger on my desk right now, and it's now fully charged, but I've not switched it on. And the reason I don't put it on is because I get annoyed at it, Chris, right? Yeah. <laughs> because you'll wear your lovely Apple Watch or any watch of a similar nature, and after a certain amount of time of passively sitting at my desk on Zoom sessions or anything like that, what does that watch do? It tells you to get up and move. Stand up, yeah. And I'm like, don't tell me what to do. I'm a busy person. <laughs> but I genuinely took the watch off one day, and, you know, and and you know, rather um, passive aggressively, slung it in a drawer. <laughs> I thought, 
can't have that dictating what I would. I'm a busy person. I've got all these emails. Just using that again as a context. Now I'm exaggerating there, of course, but the, yeah. the, the genuine, the genuineness about that is true. So I very seldom wear this watch, but actually, there's something in that, isn't there? To be remem- yeah. reminding ourselves and remembering that actually we need to be moving because it's not just that that opportunity to sit and get your task list done. It's you know who are we becoming in those moments is a really fresh approach to look at that. Um, so yeah. I love that you've shared that today. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's yeah. a pleasure. You gave us another soundbite earlier. Can I quickly say this one as well? And then yeah. I'm going to ask you a question about something you told me on the Zoom session. Um, I yeah. promise I won't divulge anything that I shouldn't do. Um, no, you gave no. me a soundbite earlier and I thought, this is brilliant. If you're not happy with the results, check your choices. Mm-hmm. That's so powerful, Chris, isn't it? Yeah. I th- you know, I am the simple guy. <laughs> That's what I kind of market myself as. You know, I, I like dropping in phrases into conversations, especially when I'm on stage, that people already know. They already know it. They just got so busy they forgot it. Yeah. And that's what I love. One of my favourite ways of doing it is just landing the, those zingers where people go, oh, yeah, we know that. You know, yeah. similar to what you've just done there when you said, you know, I know I need to move. It, we yeah. know we need to move, but we're so busy doing stuff. Yeah. And and I, and I think I think for me that that's that I like to keep things simple. You know, if we don't like the results we're getting, then check the choices we're making because we we are the common denominator. Now, where that kind of stems from is is that philosophy that I believe that we need to take responsibility, not blame, because that's different. It's responsibility, everything that happens to us, but mm-hmm. we seldom do. We seldom do. We, we 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 tend to blame things because it's easier. Because it gets us off the hook, gets us out of the yeah. out of the line of fire. I do it. I still do. It. I'm human, like anybody else. But actually, once you start taking responsibility, what you're saying to yourself, what you're saying to your subconscious is, I've got control of this. I've got control over my life experience. And when you start doing that, your brain then starts to respond in the right way instead of reacting. And going out there in that fight, flight, or freeze, that type of syndrome, we can start to work with it in time. So for me, taking responsibility is just asking yourself, are you able to respond in the way you want to? That's it. That's all it comes down to. So when we're making those choices or we're reflecting over it and we go, do you know what? Last week was really bad. It was a bad week. We can sit there and say, well, we just didn't get that deal over the line or this didn't happen or that didn't happen. But if we reflect and go, like what? What was my skin in the game here? Mm-hmm. What did I? What did I miss? Or what did we overcook? And you can start to adjust where you're going from that one question alone. It it changes everything. Once you start to take back control, that's when things start to flow into your existence. So for me, that that whole phrase sends you on a bit more of a reflective journey. If you don't like those results check some of the choices you make and because guaranteed that there will be some clues there. There will be some clues. And it, for me, it goes back to that kind of learning from failure. And I said to my son, you know, not so long ago, he, he loves winning, but he hates losing. Bless him. He's only nine and he's, he's going to learn. I said, I said to him all the time, I said, look, I'm 44 and I'm still learning to lose. It hurts. <laughs> it really yeah. hurts. It stings. Yeah. I said, but if I look back, I am super grateful for all the losses because I've been able to reflect without blame, shame. It was him, it was her, it was the weather. I've looked at it and gone, okay, what could I have done? And it changes everything. 
It does. I love that. And and what a lovely message for um your little ones as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And those kids round the round you that day for that impromptu <laughs> impromptu keynote <laughs> at the Athletics Club. I could just imagine yeah. all their little faces like, wow, this is good. This is great. Free of charge. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, it, there's Casey's dad telling us all these fabulous things. Honestly, that's just priceless. <laughs> I love that. Um, and then something you said to me before we joined the session, and, and you were you know telling me about your your backstory and and you said you know um you in, in comparison with other athletes you said about about your stature tell us a bit about yeah. that yeah you know all my life people would kind of come up and go oh, you sure you want to be a swimmer almost like with that frown on the face and I would always question yeah 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 and they'd say well you know you know you don't look like the rest you're not really tall enough you know you know because i am only 5 11 and i know you said oh oh that's quite tall, that's tall. That's not to, i mean my ego loved that comment thanks but <laughs> but, <laughs> but actually you know I, w- I was in a sport where it's dominated by people it's a it's a sport of levers swimming is a sport of levers long arms long legs long torso i didn't have that so therefore had to look for other advantages and you know, and they were there. They're there. They're always there. They're even there in business and the businesses that I run now. But we often look at it like we're on the back foot. Yeah. So one of my advantages was okay. Well, if I could get as strong as those really tall guys, and I'm twenty kilograms lighter than them, which was fact. I was twenty kilograms lighter than some of the big guys I used to race, which is huge. If I could lift in the gym as much as them, that means I'm just as powerful. Or if I can get close, I'm just behind them. Therefore. I've got 20 kilograms less to pull through the water with the same power output. Now, without getting all technical and geeky, that for me sounds like a real advantage. It really and, does. And that's how I leveraged it. You know, people would say, oh, you're not tall enough. And I used to, in my mind, I used to go, and I never said it out loud. I was like, yeah, but I'm light. I'm just as strong. Yeah. And it was almost a mantra, it became a mantra because I was looking for the advantages. Once you start doing that, your subconscious starts going, oh, I found another one for you, Chris. Nudge, nudge. Yeah. Uh, you frame it it's called a reframe you you frame it up in a different way it feels different you act different when you act different you go in a different direction so yeah being from a sport where i wasn't tall enough just fostered the opportunity to look through a different lens um and i do that now you know i did have a hang up about my accent when i started talking on stage so i thought oh i'm only allowed from south shields well you know how am i going to get around this but actually i use it now I yeah. use it. It's my unique selling point. And if someone doesn't want to buy it, they were never my client in the first place. Exactly that. Definitely yeah. so. It's time to move on to a different one who will pay, who will want me standing there, who will go, thank you so much. And that's great business. Yeah. Always an advantage. Definitely. Um, Chris, you are an absolute treasure. What a delight oh. chatting to you. I could chat to you for hours. Because I, bet, <laughs> I bet you've got so many golden nuggets of stuff to share, even more than what you've oh. given us an, an insight to today. Chris, if you were giving our lovely audience today um, a, a final takeaway, it could be maybe a wee summary of what you've said earlier or something that was really important or like mm. a one final thought or mm. thing to consider, what would that be? Oh, I would say... Um, stop trying to find something and go out and create it whenever i think back to the businesses you know that i've got that are flourishing now they've come from that i want to create something not i'm trying to find something the first thing i say to clients is don't try and find it 
you've already got it. Let's bring it out from that creative side and watch it grow. It, it's a game changer. That would be my last thing. Love it. Chris, absolutely brilliant to chat to you today. Now, of course, Likewise. for all of our lovely listeners, we put on the show notes all of your contact details. So if anyone does want to reach out to you, you will find all of the details in the show notes. So wherever our lovely listeners are, are listening to the podcast today, wherever you're consuming your great content, look in the show notes, you'll find that in there. But Chris, do tell us out loud as well, what's the best way to connect with you? What's your website? And uh, and should people be connecting with you on LinkedIn? You said you're, you're nice and you're you're visible there quite often i know that because we are yeah. we're linkedin pals yeah we are so my website is chriscookgb.com and my email address is info at chriscookgb.com i'm on linkedin twitter and chriscookgb i think that's the lot i think that's me on social media fantastic and we also um, create a little one pager summary toolkit for anyone who subscribes to the podcast and if they're not doing so already all the lovely listeners head on over to www.dnacoach.co.uk slash podcast and you'll find all of Chris's details on our um, uh, downloadable toolkit but we'll create a little one pager um, as a summary Chris so maybe following this um, podcast recording you could send me one or two questions that you would like to pose um, for people yeah. to reflect on because I think what you said about that reflect reflection opportunity is so powerful um, so maybe some questions if, for people to think about that we can add on to the toolkit if that would be okay from your 100%. good self. Oh, 100% I've got them all Brilliant. written down ready to go yeah amazing love that i knew you would great chris and um, thank you so much for taking part today i can't wait to see you again in person and um, hopefully this next time it will be not on a zoom screen but i'll get to see you in the flesh at one of our upcoming events um, and if anyone uh, is listening today if you're looking for a keynote speaker or you're looking for someone who as as inspirational as chris is then definitely um, it would be a partnership well worth considering so chris i do wish you all the very best Thank you so much for joining us today and and hopefully I'll get to see you again very soon. Oh, thank you, Laura. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Most welcome. Take care. Bye for now. Take care. Bye-bye.